This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of two, and soon to be three, and a practicing physician. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura, and this is episode 19 on Making Time to Read with our guest, Ann Bogle. We're very excited to talk with her in the main segment of this episode. It's gotten us thinking about all things books because Ann is a book queen. She knows all things, all recommendations. Uh, so, Sarah, we've been talking about some of our, our favorite books. Like, what's something you've actually reread, a book you've reread? Ooh, I think the book that I've reread most recently was Murakami's Norwegian Wood. And I think I've read it probably about three times, although not recently. So maybe it's time to pick it up again. Other than that, really, I'm not a big rereader in general. And I will throw out a huge nerd alert that I've read David Allen's Getting Things Done twice because I found his philosophy so influential. I wanted it to really like soak in. So yeah, but Murakami's Norwegian Wood. Why, why did you read that? So many times, Norwegian. Oh my gosh. It's just got this peaceful, lilting quality. And I love the scenes where they're just sort of out in the middle of nowhere doing not much. I mean, that's that I think is Murakami's absolute strength. Like he can make it sound just so like the essence of life to have a certain, you know, he's always talking about like having a a classical music album on and and cooking some delicious Japanese concoctions. So I think I just find it very soothing. <laughs> I, I haven't, I've actually started reading it. I started reading it last night. Um, it was on my to be read list. And then when you mentioned that it was the book you'd read, you know, three times, it's like, oh, well, I, I should read it clearly. I mean, I've liked Oh, I other, really hope you like it. <laughs> I've, I've liked other things he's written. So hopefully I will. I, so the one um, novel that comes to mind that I have reread three times, To the Lighthouse. Uh, Virginia. Oh, I haven't read that. It's it's good. It's short. So if you're going to read a Virginia Woolf book, and it's also relatively accessible, which some of her other stuff, when she got a wee bit more avant-garde, is is much less so. So I, I would definitely recommend it as a Virginia Woolf book to read. That or Mrs. Dalloway is also very accessible. And a lot of people who've, you know, 
read the hours or something like that would want to read the book it was kind of based on but yeah to the lighthouse is great it's also got that sort of lilting beautiful prose quality it's about a family vacation but it's really about life in general and people's capacity for change um, which is somewhat of an amazing thing and it's kind of crazy to think of her writing this when she was so horrifically ill herself you know she wound up taking her own life not not too long thereafter but you know she was it's just such a beautiful almost you know happy book and and so there's there's something just so profound about that contrast that i i find compelling to to keep rereading what what do your kids like to read <laughs> well, my younger one certainly is not actually reading himself yet. Um, that um, that series with Ada Twist Scientist and Iggy Peck Architect by Andrea Beattie. He's super into that. Nuffle Bunny series, anything by Mo Willems. He loves it. And Annabelle has started to get into chapter books, although since um, you know, we're recording this a few weeks early, but the time recently changed and now all of a sudden she's too tired every night, <laughs> but she really liked Charlotte's web, um, that we recently just finished. What about yours? So my, my older son has been rereading all the Harry Potter books. He's really been getting into them. There's new illustrated ones that have come out. They're like beautiful coffee table looking type books. Um, he's been buying those and, and reading through them, really enjoying that. He's actually been reading it to his six-year-old sister. Uh, oh, I love that. Incredibly so cute. cute. Wonderful. <laughs> Although it usually doesn't occur to him to want to do this until like 930 at night. And I'm like, no, <laughs> she has to be asleep. You cannot do this. You cannot keep her up like just because you forgot to read it to her earlier. So, so yeah, we've been into those. Uh, you know, I'm going to throw out uh, in terms of like, there's so many like crappy celebrity written children's book, but we have actually really liked the freckle face strawberry books by Julianne Moore that she has written decent children's books. Um, and they're really well illustrated by a woman named Lewin Pham, who I've gotten to interview several times and who's amazing uh, as an artist. So I'll throw those out there as books that have had some staying power. Despite, I, don't, I hate to feel bad saying despite because I'm sure not all celebrities are like it. She's she's actually really a good children's book author um, who happens That's to really also cool. be a movie star. And then uh, we've already like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Perpetual. Thing. Oh, yeah. Mine love that. Yeah. The idea of food falling <laughs> from the sky is just so inherently wonderful <laughs> that uh, they love that. And what am I say? One morning in Maine, I will throw out sort of a, a you know caveat on that that it's very slow and it's kind of long. I think One Morning in Maine maybe came out before they said it that you know all children's books have to be about thirty two pages in length because of the way they're printed and this was you know somehow exempt from that. But it's uh, it's a good one if if you've ever been to Maine, it has a very good Maine sort of feeling. It makes me want to curl up with the LL Bean catalog every time I, I read it with the kids. So that's a, that's a favorite. A perfect winter pick. I love it. We are very excited to have on the program today, Anne Bogle, who is the blogger behind Modern Mrs. Darcy. Uh, she is also the host of the podcast, What Should I Read Next?, which Sarah and I both listen to religiously. And she is the mom of four children. How old are they now, Anne? Oh, they're getting so old. We have a Seven, 10, 12, and 14 year old. Oh my goodness, 14. I know. I think in my mind they're still like babies, but I guess that's just when I. In my mind, they're still babies. They've grown up with the blog, I guess I say. Um, So, yeah, both of us love to read Modern Mrs. Darcy. We get a lot of our book recommendations from there, too. So, I guess, Anne, my first question for you is how do you decide what to read next? Oh, wow. I think people expect me to have some kind of science or spreadsheet and really. I read what I need to read for work or because my kids are asking me to please read a book. And I read what I'm excited about. And often I get excited about books by talking to other readers. Although we are getting ready to enter, I realize that it's not Christmas yet, but we're getting ready to enter summer reading guide season around here. Every year we put out a big summer reading guide. It is the big reading project we do. I keep saying we, like I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who works in modern history. It's like Anne plus assistants, acolytes. (laughs) That is what I mean. And also, I honestly think it's that like feminine insecurity thing. Like it just feels more official to say we, but really it's me. Um, It's you. (laughs) We will read a metric ton of books coming out between about March 1st and the 4th of July and share our favorites that we've actually read cover to cover um, the middle of May, usually a week or two before Memorial Day. So that starts almost now. 
So that's just a big project. But most of the time, I read what I'm excited about. Yeah, but for our listeners who are not in the in the book world, it's because you can get access to books like about what three or four months before they're published. Usually, is that when people start sending them to you? Um, when I'm lucky and ask nicely. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not important enough that the publishers are like, oh, make sure Anne gets a copy. And that wasn't the case when I started blogging. But even I've I've heard from new readers who don't have like major online presences. But if you ask nicely and say you have an Instagram account, it, it's not just that I'm so special, but I am on a bunch of mailing lists now. And like any catalog you subscribe to that keeps coming, books keep showing up on my doorstep, <laughs> which is wonderful, but I'm running out of shelf space rapidly. Yeah, exactly. And probably out of time because you have some limited bandwidth. It does make it harder to decide which to read next. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly that's a, a question a lot of our, our listeners struggle with. And, and you know, we aim this podcast at very busy women who are you know, working big jobs, raising kids. And reading is probably one of those things that gets shoved to the side uh, for, for many people. And if somebody is listening to this and realized like, geez, I haven't read a book in a while. What are, what are some good ways to kind of ease back into that reading habit? Ooh, that's a great question. Because I realized as you were asking me, how do I decide what to read next? It's true that I read what I'm excited about, but I've also been reading and reading a lot for a long time. So I think I have this software operating in the back of my brain that says, what have you been reading lately? What do you need to balance that out? What have you not been reading lately that you really want to read in one part of your brain, even if you don't tend to pull like the heavy novels, for example, off the shelf? So all those micro decisions are happening in the back of my mind before I do sit down with a new book. I just finished a book last night, so I actually need to decide which novel I'm going to read next later today. And this I- is Anne, right? Because you know she finished a book last night. And she's like, well, I have to be reading now. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I haven't read yet. <laughs> I just like to know what's coming next because deciding is hard. And when it's time to run out the door later to sit in some waiting room for a kid's appointment, I want that book already in my purse because otherwise I'm going to be late because I'm going to stand in front of my shelves going, hmm, what comes next? Hmm. Um, I would say that if you haven't been reading in a while, like go for the low hanging fruit, read the thing that has made you think, oh, I wish I had time to read that because I've been looking for that. Or read the book that's been sitting on your nightstand because you do actually want to read it. Or my favorite is to pick something really, really short and go with that. I like that. Or like an easy, you know, one of those candy fluffy books. I feel like sometimes that gets me in a mode if I've been out, pick something that's just a little mindless, but fun. And then sometimes that leads to more you know, meaty stuff later on. Gateway drug for for bigger books. <laughs> so, so Anne, what I mean, not to make you cough up your whole recommendation list here, but if, just a title or two that is short and easy. If it's somebody who hadn't read in a while, like you know, give us a crowd pleaser or two. Well, I don't know about the. I think this is a crowd pleaser, but that doesn't mean everybody knows about it. There's this new book out. It's called Heating and Cooling. It's by an author I'd never read before, whose name escapes me. Kimory Martin, maybe. She's the poet laureate of the state of Mississippi. So I probably just lost a bunch of people right there. But these are (laughs) micro memoirs, which basically means she's telling three sentence to six page, uh, funny, heartwarming, tear jerking, complicated stories of her own life. And I was reading this on the couch the other night and she she was talking about I'm not going to tell you what she was talking about, but um, because it'll sound ridiculous. But she was just talking about a moment in her real life, and I was like cackling on the couch. And my kids were like, "Mom, what are you? What are you reading?" Um, and then she tell she tells stories about her sister and her husband and her children that like catch you off guard and get you a little teary, but in the best way. Like she's able to write stories that go quite to the straight to the heart of some core human experience really, really quickly. And what I love about that book for someone who's been in a reading slump or someone who hasn't read in a long time is it's a short book to begin with. So you could read the whole thing start to finish and feel like you accomplished something. But also you can sit down and read a whole story in three minutes, literally. The short ones will take you 12 or the longer, the longer ones will take you 12. Beth Ann Finnelly asked Dr. Google here. Um, just, it was Kim although Martin. it's funny because I, 
I typed in heating and cooling and I got like my local HVAC company coming up. <laughs> no, I actually don't need my furnace uh, service. <laughs> I was looking for a book. <laughs> but uh, okay, so that's a good one for that. So heating and cooling, 52 micro memoirs. So we've got people who are Oh, that sounds so cool. I like the idea of it being sort of just based on her life. I like unremarkable tales told in a, you know, very interesting or notable way. That's uh, and you mentioned something about reading in the waiting room there. And I know now you read books for a living, which is just completely awesome. But when, when you were starting this out and when I think we started reading your blog many years ago, I mean, you were working at an actual company, um, like you had a job. And a job you, job. A job job. And you were homeschooling your four children as well. So when wow. when did you read during that time? Well, I didn't read. You know, I, it's possible I read more. The thing about that life then, because that's not, I'm not homeschooling anymore. My kids are in school full time. And now I'm not, I'm, I work in my home office in the room adjacent to my bedroom. So it is a different life now. But reading has always been my favorite escape, my introvert coping mechanism of choice, my way to relax. So especially with a life like that, I needed some time to myself in my own head and reading was wonderful for that. So I'd read during that time. I'd read uh, back when my kids went to bed at 7.30. I just can't imagine now, but there was a time when that happened. And so I could read for (laughs) two hours some nights after they went to bed. I could read in the morning. And then in those minutes where you're waiting for the water to boil or you're waiting for the repairman to show up or you're really in the doctor. I spent a lot of time in pediatricians, doctor's offices back then. And so you're in the waiting room and those eight minutes here, 10 minutes there, they really add up. They do. And I mean, they sort of literally add up now that I read a lot of stuff on the Kindle app because it shows you how much time you have left in the book. And so it's just a matter of math that like, you know, 48 minute segments is 320 minutes, which is, you know, if you've got a three and a half hour book that about covers it. And Laura, you're, you're like an amazing success story and someone who didn't useful. I don't know about success, but it seems successful to me. Didn't used to read that much and then, and then ramped it up. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting, I mean, partly it's the phase of life thing. I mean, and you probably appreciate this too, that when your little, your youngest child is older than two, time starts opening up a wee bit more. Oh, it's so different because I do get asked a lot, like, how do you do what you do? And I'm doing a little too much, but still like the age of my youngest child has made a world of difference. So there's just such a huge difference between having a two-year-old in the family. And now my youngest is seven and that's just an entirely different lifestyle. But then again, I'm not pinned to the couch breastfeeding like six times a day like I was when I had newborns. Every time I had a teeny tiny baby, I did read a ton just because this was before there was an iPhone. And I'd just be, you know, pinned to the couch, stuck. And I didn't, we didn't have a TV in the room. I don't know. I've never been a daytime TV watcher. So it was, I got a ton of reading done during that season. Yeah. Those four seasons. Those four seasons. Yeah. Well, and, and, but for me, it was more, um, I mean, what you talked about that you could get that, even if it wasn't two hours at night, let's say your kids were going to bed more like eight thirty or nine, you might have an hour to read after they go to bed if you chose to do that or, you know, 30 minutes somewhere else during the day. And this, this time does add up. Like if you read for an hour a day, seven days a week, if you read, you know, 50, 60 pages an hour, that gives you 350 pages a week. I mean, you can get through a lot of books in, in a week then. I mean, like a book a week, it'd be four books a month. And I had that realization when I tracked my time and I realized that I had read for 327 hours during a particular year that I tracked. And that sounds pretty good. Like it's almost an hour a day, but so much of it was just junk. Like it was, you know, random newspaper articles, random magazine articles like that I didn't really care about. And I saw that number. I was like, well, what if I put that against actual real books? And, and so that was really the big decision that got me reading a lot more this year. Uh, for, for any of our listeners who are sort of in that position, who are reading some, but would like to read more. I mean, how how do you scale that time up? I mean, what are what are some good strategies for making it a little bit more of what you do with your leisure time? Well, I think the best strategy is to find something you actually want to read. As you know, you've talked and written about this very eloquently, Laura. 
some readers will read no matter what. And to a large extent, I'm one of those readers and a lot of our modern Mrs. Darcy people are, but even I read more when I have a book I'm really excited about reading or a whole stack of them. Like reading looks a lot more desirable than other things if I'm excited about the books that are awaiting me. And other than that, when I've been in low reading seasons and I've wanted to, I mean, when my time has been occupied and I've wanted to wedge more in, um, some people read first thing in the morning, though I've never really been one of those. I had a podcast guest last week who said that to get reading in, he has a toddler and he's in a busy season. He said that he wakes up and he reads before his feet hit the floor. Like some people check their Instagram account. And I'll read during mealtimes if I'm by myself. Like I won't read during lunch with my kids at the table unless they're <laughs> unless it's a Saturday afternoon and everybody's like doing homework or reading magazines, then I might. But otherwise, if it's just me, I can read during lunch. And I really can't say enough about those small moments that feel insignificant. They really add up. And you may need to choose with care what you're reading in those moments. That might not be the time to read like War and Peace because that doesn't really work three paragraphs at a time. Which I believe I, well, this is the thing. I honestly, <laughs> War and Peace, the chapters are really short. It has that in common. I wouldn't know. Micro, micro <laughs> memoirs Me uh, that you just re- recommended. Not that, you know, <laughs> take a little bit more to get through this than, than that. But the chapters are literally like two pages. And, and so there are hundreds of them, but they're two pages. And, and so you get the feel like, hey, I could read through a chapter in Tolstoy like while I'm waiting for this phone call to start. Yes. Well, that's a great example of found moments. And also a lot of people, if you're traveling, if you're a commuter, I love audiobooks. Not everybody does. But if you're a podcast listener and you started working some audiobooks into the routine as well, you already know how to use that audio format. That's another way to get it in. You can listen while running. You can listen while walking the dog. I love personally for the travel side of things, like going through a novel while I'm on the plane is the best. It gets the time down. And I never have that uninterrupted time at any other time. And I know some people can work really well on planes, but I'm not one of them. But having a great book is like the best companion. Yeah, that's exactly true. And so, you know, given that we have uh, the the ultimate book recommender on the (laughs) podcast here. (laughs) So let's say we are, you are a reader who's reading some and wants to read more. You want to tackle something a little bit more ambitious. Doesn't have to be War and Peace. Do you have any recommendations for somebody who's looking to add a more ambitious book to their to-be-read list? You know, it's really interesting that you're asking this. We we did a reading challenge on Modern Mrs. Darcy last year, or I guess it's still this year, and we had two different categories. We had one set of books to read, like 12 categories for people who wanted to put the oomph back in their reading life, who where reading was kind of a drag or not something they were doing, and they just wanted it to be fun again. And then we had some people who chose to read for personal growth, like to really go deeper with their book picks. And these were like, read a book in translation, read a national book award winner, that kind of thing. Reading for fun, you're reading like a celebrity memoir. They were different categories. But what we heard from readers, which I was really surprised, is that the readers who chose to do both categories, who took on 24 books instead of just the 12, were all more satisfied with the books they'd chosen Well, not all, but many were more satisfied with the books they'd chosen in the reading for growth instead of the reading for fun. And that was the opposite of what I expected. And it really made me wonder about what we choose to read and why and where we get it right and where we get it wrong. And we just discovered this yesterday. So I'm still very much processing it. But that is something I didn't expect. And it does have me thinking, like, if we want to read because it's fun, it can still be fun even if we're picking up a book that's heavy. I'm just thinking out loud. I'm still working through this. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I mean, I think that's fascinating. And I will say that I've picked up some of your recommendations and thought, oh, this is a little dense in the beginning and then found them to be some of my absolute favorites. So that actually does make some sense to me. I think people like a challenge, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's there's different kinds of fun. There's effortless fun and there's effortful fun. And the effort, they both have their place, but it's always easy in life to overinvest in the effortless fund precisely because it doesn't take any effort, but it, it tends to be the stuff that takes a little bit more work that we feel best about later on. And you had a category and that was like, read a book that's over 600 pages, right? That was, I mean, that was something that a lot of people have not done, but would be a good way to challenge yourself. You nailed it, Laura. And, and I'm trying to remember some of the ones that, did you wind up reading through one, any of them that you hadn't read yet that you were? A really long one? Yeah. 
Yes, I read Wally Lamb's. Oh, what's it called? It's the one about the twins. I know this much is true. And I, I mean, it's almost a thousand pages. It takes forever to set up the story. Um, It goes in a million different directions and it had one of the best endings I've read in recent years. So I was really glad I did. I'm not a huge stranger to long books. Like I'm pretty sure I've read others that were about that long, but but that's the one I want to actually like write in the blank on my sheet because I really loved it. Um, for other readers who want a challenge, oh, that's tricky because it kind of depends on what you're like. But I always, I always think it's fun to read those books that are being talked about like as part of a larger cultural conversation, like Sing Unburied Sing, Just One, the National Book Award. So that could be an interesting oh. one to pick up because other people are talking about it. I really enjoyed the new Louise Erdrich future home of the living God, which really reminded me of the handmaid's tale with a little bit of the passage thrown in. Um, interesting, a little bit dark and broody, but not inaccessible to someone who doesn't read a ton. It did remind me of the handmaid's tale, which would be a great, that's a classic that has been talked about a lot recently in the cultural conversation because it's Margaret Atwood and that, I mean, she never goes out of style, but, um, I just read that recently for the first time because it was one of those books that I'd never read. And it did feel really satisfying in an effortful, fun kind of way to cross it off the list. I do know the kind of books that I really gravitate towards are the reflective, well-crafted, but not too wordy literary fiction. Like I really like Wallace Stegner, Wendell Berry, Marilyn Robinson, and they all happen to be award winners. That I just read Crossing to Safety on your recommendation and I loved it. So I was reading it at like three in the morning too, because for some reason I couldn't sleep and it was perfect. <laughs> Books for 3 a.m. <laughs> It'd be its own category. You should do a list of those, Anne. <laughs> it totally could be. I may steal that. I love that book. I'm glad you liked it. But yeah, so all the authors I just mentioned are great in that category. And then I also um, really like Chris Cleave, Everyone Brave is Forgiven this year. Um, this is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel was one of my favorite stories about a uh, a quirky, endearing family, but who's going through a hard thing. Um, Before We Visit the Goddess by Teacher Banerjee Devakaruni was one of my favorites from last year that was a novel told in short stories. So it was really easy to read a little bit at a time. Not that I did. I think I read this in the course of one evening because I didn't really like the cover, but I wanted to vet it for the summer reading guide. So I sat down at the kitchen counter and it's like, I'm just going to give it a try so I can say I did. And I don't think I got back up until I finished that book because it was short. But those are all books that go in different directions and have different tones, but all have really well-drawn characters, a real depth to them. They're talking about important things that matter to to humans, not just to individual people, um, books that we can really resonate with on a personal level. And that's one of the big reasons I read. I think that's what makes it satisfying for so many people. So let's talk about when when the book reading is not satisfying. I mean, when is it okay to <laughs> abandon a book? Uh, you know, there's some people who, are, Sarah and I are both uh, we upholders. We like to you know follow the rules. It, it can be hard to abandon a book once you once you. Yeah, I really do actually struggle with that, and I I I know I need to do it more because of what you said before, which is. If you have, I'm one of those like vacuum film, like, or I don't know, the, the type of reader that needs an excellent book and then I'm reading all the time. And then if I'm not, then I'm very, very stalled mm-hmm. versus Laura who I, and you who I think are just like going to read no matter what. So yes, talk to me about abandoning books. I need this. I am also an upholder. And this book abandoning thing was something I came to over, I mean, there was a time when I realized, oh, I could stop and it would be <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> People have their own rules. Like when we've talked about this in Modern Mrs. Darcy Land, people have said that they call their personal rule the giver rule. They will give a book 60 pages because that's how long it took for the giver, a book that they ended up loving, to get good. Um, I've heard 100 pages minus your age as a guideline. Some people give a book 50 pages. Something that really helps me now and may help others, even if they're not in the same place, is I'm reading books for a variety of different reasons. So we're about to start reading all these summer reading guide titles. And I know that most of your listeners are not putting together a summer reading guide, but I still think like the specific instance can help you think through like, why are you reading? We'll read a lot of books that we, the Royal We, will read a lot of books that (laughs) might seem interesting and 
you know, perfectly readable and like something I want to read, but are not right for the purpose I'm reading it for at the time. So instead of abandoning it forever and casting it aside and, you know, taking it to goodwill, I can just set it aside and be like, you know what, that might be for me, but it's not for me right now. And that's fine. So that is something that's really helped me. There are some books that I, that I have started reading. I'm like, you know what, that's not going to be for me. I just started reading Jennifer Egan's A Visit to the Goon Squad because I've been meaning to read it for years. And I checked it out of the library and I read 80 pages. I'm like, you know what? I don't know that this is the book for me. I have so much to read. Maybe I'll feel differently in 10 years, but there's so much to read. I don't feel like this is for me. I'm not comfortable with a couple of the themes personally. Maybe it's just the timing, but this is going back and I'm going to move on. And it's not like I've decided I'm never going to read that book ever in my life, but Telling myself there's a difference between forever and right now has been really helpful in getting over that upholder instinct to keep going because it's a commitment that you started and you have to follow through because that's the kind of person you are. And that's who I was before. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, I've never thought of framing it that way as in not, oh, I'm putting this down, I give up, but oh, well, we're just going to stop for now and then reassess. I like that. Future Sarah might want to pick it up someday. <laughs> That's very Future true. Future Sarah is also really like fantasizing about the 2018, um, you know, your your picks, the 24 picks. I'm like, that sounds very challenging and exciting. So cool. Future Sarah gets to that one. Yes. In the midst of having your newborn, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what she said on the couch reading a book. I like it. Yeah. So, and I've I've sort of had this fantasy about joining a book club, and I never have. Um, I think for reasons that I'd probably be a really bad book club member. Um, but uh, <laughs> what, Sarah's in one. What, what makes a what makes a good book club? Like, if somebody is setting up a book club or looking to join one, like what what is the sign of a really good book club? Ooh, that's a good question because. I have been, I'm not currently in a real life in-person book club, but I've been in plenty before and I've gone to meetings and I've taken my book and we've all sat in a circle and gone, I liked it. I liked it too. And that's just no good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. For book club, you want something with lots to discuss. Well, first of all, the ending, any kind of ambiguous ending, left turn ending, um, those are really interesting to talk about where you can decide what happens next. Uh, did you like it? Did you didn't? Any kind of polarizing book uh, might make you crazy reading reviews on the internet, but it's so much to, so much fun to talk about in person. Um, any kind of book that some people love and some people hated is makes for a really great discussion. A lot of book clubbers have said that their favorite book club meetings and their favorite book club books have not existed in the same space. So you can have a great discussion, even if you don't love the book, or if you do love the book and other people hate it, that's especially fun. Unlikable characters can be a lot more fun as a reader if you can pick them apart with your fellow book clubbers. And also characters making um, big decisions, characters put in impossible situations, characters facing very relatable struggles. Those can all be good fodder for book club discussion. Ooh. So you think it's mostly about the selection of the right books. I think that makes sense. Well, art to that, I'm sure. (laughs) Asking good questions is also important, but it's a lot easier for the conversation to start itself. If you, if you pick a book that is inherently discussable. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, you're right. I feel like the conversations have flowed the best where I've gone in hating the book and then some other people unexpectedly really like it, who I expected to to dislike it. And you're right. It naturally it naturally goes. So, Sarah, what's, so like what's an example of a title that was like that for you? Oh, well, we read Loner. Um, oh my gosh, I don't have the author at hand, but it is about a very creepy college student. And actually, the author happened to know the host of the book club. So we ended up getting the author on the phone. So that was pretty exciting. And we had to kind of talk about the book before because some people liked it. <laughs> some people didn't. <laughs> the author on the phone, yes. Once we had the author on the phone, um, but it was a very interesting book. And Teddy Wayne is the author. Polarizing, interesting, and with a very, very horrible main character. So it fits a lot of those things that Anne just mentioned. And that was a great book club pick that I didn't necessarily expect it to be because I didn't necessarily love reading the book, but it was a fascinating book. And it was well-written, even though it was kind of gross. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of the writing side of things, Anne is a published author. She has two books out, but the one that most recently came out called Reading People is about looking at the various personality frameworks and how they affect 
our relationships with others. I got to say my favorite part of that, Anne, was when you talked about the various literary characters who meet each kind of the (laughs) Myers-Briggs personality framework. So I'm an INTJ. uh, So I guess we're the, uh, I don't know if that was Mr. Darcy or something like that. I'm forgetting (laughs) this now. But how has being on the author's side of books and book publishing changed how you read and how you interact with the books that get sent to you? Well, I read less the month before the book came out and the month after the book came out than I think I've read in my entire life as a reader. So that made a big difference, just being just being so busy. And also I had, this was a rookie mistake, but I had a book deadline for an essay collection coming out next fall, four days before reading people came out. So I didn't realize how ridiculous that was when I signed that contract, <laughs> wow. but that did terrible things for my reading life. So I thought that was really ironic. <laughs> that becoming an author means you read less. Yes. So I've, you know, I've bounced back now. I've had plenty of time to get back in my introvert, happy reading space, but um, yeah, that really surprised me. It's been really interesting to see how the publicity side works. Like I thought, I thought I knew, but I, I knew just enough to be dangerous, I think about, about all that. And I'm still learning very much. I mean, this is only my first book, so I will keep learning how all that works. It it has changed a little bit the way I interact with the books that I see online. Like in um like I was so excited to be on one of Bustle's list of like, oh, 20 amazing rem- memoirs, to, not memoirs, but nonfiction to add to your to be read list. And so I was between like Hillary Clinton and some other big deal person coming wow. out this fall. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But it also made me realize that all those lists I like to read online are just publicists emailing each other. Like, <laughs> oh, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> well, it has to come from somewhere, it's right? It's true. It does. But I think that's- quite an honor. <laughs> it does. And you know, there were more than 20 books coming out this fall. So my fellow authors are being like, they didn't Way have to more. include it. Like they, you know, they did. It does mean something I'm like, yeah, but it, definitely but, does. Um, it does make me a little bit cynical. Um, it has, uh, I don't know, like it's been a little bit different, but not very because I've been doing vetting a lot of books, getting sent a lot of books, um, is a bookish enthusiast, which is not that, that different from doing it as an author, uh, for a while now. It's been a little bit different. And I definitely, I definitely am feeling a lot more kind hearted to the books that come to my house. Like, Oh, that poor author, this is hard work, isn't it? (laughs) It's hard work. Even if the book isn't very good, you know, there's still a lot of work that went into it and yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't recommend something you don't like, but on the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> I just, just knowing, knowing what goes into it, the, the years and the effort and yeah, to have all those books just going out in envelopes, landing on people's doorsteps and hoping they open them. Yeah. It does change things. Yeah. Wow. So we're going to hit you up for one more recommendation, Anne, which is that, so Sarah is going on maternity leave and for the next three months, uh, maybe Sarah, you can tell her what you're looking for, for that time. Yeah, I want something. Well, I don't know. I would, I'm open to a lot of things and I will tell you that I'm sure I will get plenty of recommendations from your podcast and your blog anyway. But if I give you like a few random things that I've liked that you recommended, you can give me another one. Okay. You ready? Yes. <laughs> um, Americana. I read this Ooh, year. Loved uh-huh. it. Um, I mentioned crossing to safety. Uh-huh. Laura had mentioned before. I, I, I have a guilty pleasure. I loved the Kevin Kwan crazy rich, rich Asians series. And I'm super excited that it's going to be a movie. Um, I like some Leanne Moriarty. I mean, that's fun stuff. What Alex forgot is probably my favorite. I don't tend to get into nonfiction as much. It's funny. Like once in a while, there'll be a topic that I really like. Like I really liked Deep Work by Cal Newport, but I I just, it's one of those where I'll start a nonfiction because I love the idea and then I just sort of peter out. So yeah, if you have a juicy novel or a, you know, a medium ambitious one for me that you think would be great. <laughs> couch fodder, I would love it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause those do all hit serious themes. I have not read the crazy rich Asians trilogy, but I get the impression. Pretty good. <laughs> snarky, funny. I don't, I don't know. Describe it for me. Uh, kind of fantastical. I mean, it puts you in another world. It's totally snarky. It's got a million pop culture references, but it's actually decently written. And I will say I have a little bit of, um, like an, 
I don't know. I, I think Asian culture is really fascinating. I used to read a ton of Murakami and that's more Japan and this one's more China and, and some other countries. But um, yeah, that, that one hit a nerve. I mean, I would like devour them. They're, they're, they're sort of candy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm wondering about, this would be a great book club book, but it doesn't mean you love it. But I'm wondering about I'm Glad About You by Teresa Rebic, especially because it's described as having a crazy rich Asians element. I think they said like it's ah. crazy. The humor of crazy rich Asians meets like the wistful tone of beautiful ruins. So interesting. And I also I have like it because it's about, it's about two kids who fall in love, I think in high school, although it might go back longer. So they're like the loves of each other's lives, they think, but he wants to be a pediatrician, Sarah, and she wants to be an actress. And so they go their separate ways, but there's still this tie between them. And basically they know they're right for each other, but real life intervenes and then it gets messy and they make bad choices. So oh, that sounds great. <laughs> I really didn't like the ending, but I have friends oh, that did. And that, so if you, if you fall on, especially the dislike side of the spectrum, talk somebody into reading this book too, so you can talk about it with them. But I think that might be fun. Or maybe a book club. Get your book club maybe it's a good book club. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure. And oh, let me think what else. If you love Crossing to Safety, Angle of Repose is my next mm -hmm. favorite Wallace Stegner. Uh, um, okay. Might take a little bit to get into. It goes back and forth in time between a current contemporary, I mean, contemporary when Stegner was writing, a contemporary writer researching the lives of his grandparents. So it goes back and forth in time between this writer living his life right now, dealing with his own issues and embarking on this research project because he feels like he needs to uncover what happened in their story because something seemed tragic to him and he wanted to know what actually happened back then. So he imagines what their story was and then you come back to the present day. So that present day story does help get you oriented before your plunge back in time. But the backstory really reminded me of a book I know Laura's read, A Clearing the Distance by Vital Rybzinski, uh, the way he talks about New York City at the time that um, Frederick Law Olmsted was a young up-and-comer trying to find his way. It just reminded me very much of that era. And it's 600 pages. So it's no small, small thing to embark on, but it's so good. A shorter one I really like by him is The Spectator Bird. And then I'm trying to think of something that's more in the Leon Moriarty spectrum. Yeah, for the one, for when the kids are, you know, when the baby's not sleeping at all and I, I need something <laughs> But no, actually that Stegner sounds great too. And it reminds me of Crossing to Safety and that he obviously really likes to examine that writerly life. <laughs> he enjoys that quite a bit. I did really like This Is How It Always Is, which is a little bit more serious. And I believe there's a physician, I mean, not that you need to read books about doctors, but I believe there's a physician in there, if I'm remembering correctly, who does play an important role in like the last third of the book. Cool. No, it is sometimes fun to kind of see that world entered. Like I loved small, great things because, you know, it was in a hospital and there was babies and I was picturing it kind of being in that. So awesome. Well, I've written all of those down. I'm super excited. It's fantastic. Although I should probably say the flip side of that is that this is how it always is. The title comes from a conversation between two parents saying, we are facing this impossible situation. We have no idea what our kid needs. We don't know what's right for them. We could totally screw this up in a really bad way and ruin their lives forever, but this is how it always is. You never have all the information you need, so let's just do the best we know with what we have right now. So if you're sitting on the couch, maybe feeling postpartum, strong emotions, reading about impossible things that happen to parents, I just want you to know what you're getting into. <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. It's I think the wallowing might actually be sort of healthy, so I don't know. I tend to... <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that idea. So cool. cool. Well, and so we always end up our, our, our main segments with our, our love of the week, and we're hoping we can keep you on for a love of the week. So mine this week is, is buying books in general. I recently just totally overspent <laughs> at the school book fair. My kids' uh, elementary school had their scholastic book fair. And I will admit that I sent <laughs> We're in, going today. sent in quite a bit of money with each of them that they could they could buy books because they I, I like the idea of them choosing their books and reading it. And I will like draw a tough line on buying toys. Like I don't I don't buy toys randomly at all. But if a kid asks for a book, I'll pretty much always get it. So yeah, it's one way to increase the amount of reading is just to have more books around. Sarah, what's on your list this week? Uh, on my list, uh, and I'm going to stay thematic with this one, is that I never ever kept track of the books I read before, which is odd because I am, as all listeners know, kind of love to track stuff. Um, but in 2017, I did manage to write down every book I read and I read just about 20, maybe I'll be up to 22 or so by the end of the year. And I, it's so cool to actually be able to look at, oh, like this is what I read and this is what I liked. And next year, maybe I'll try for 24, 26, something like that. So yeah, I love that I finally kept track. All right, Nan, what do you yeah. have this week? Oh, a planning thing. I know Ooh, you all appreciate I love planning this. things. Um, <laughs> I am at the point of the year where I'm thinking about my systems and what I want to reboot for the new year. And I just ordered this large personal monthly planner that is a blank monthly calendar. At the top, it just has the days of the week and then you have to fill in the dates. But I have put this on my wall so I can see a whole quarter at a time. And I really, I didn't think I was a visual person for a long time because I don't really care that much about pictures, but I need to see the words and the dates and where they all fall. And I am so excited that now I can see this all instead of scrolling up and down and up and down on Google Calendar or flipping back and forth and back and forth in my planner. I can see three months at a go. It's making me really, really happy. And it costs like 10 bucks. That is awesome. I actually have something similar like to that, even though I am a devoted planner user at work. I have that. I have like the months tacked up on top on the like top part of my desk and I have to, it's exactly it. I have to see it visually because to, to see how the pieces fit together. That's so cool. I love your love of the week. Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And all our listeners, please go check out Modern Mrs. Darcy on the web, the What Should I Read Next podcast and Anne's book, Reading People, which was out this fall. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. So for our Q&A segment today, we have a seasonal question that came from a listener who wanted to know what ideas we had for the holiday gift season this year. So I've had to plan kind of ahead this year because of my um, impending child. And as of now, it's you know, as we record this right now, it's the end of November, but I've already sent Josh a list and I'm sort of prepared to do my click shopping. Um, so I, I do have this kind of fresh on my mind. You know, but Hanukkah's uh, earlier than Christmas. Hanukkah's anyway, way though. earlier. Yeah. I don't even remember what day it starts, but it's something like, I think it's right around my due date. My due date's the 9th and I think it's maybe the 11th. So I, I need to to be prepared in this in this context. But so I was going to say, Laura is not as much of a she doesn't worry about clutter as much as I do, but I hate it. Um, I don't have a huge house. I just can't stand picking up all the time. I love throwing stuff out. Again, things may evolve as my kids get older and have more autonomy over their own stuff. But right now, you know, one of the things I think about when I'm buying is like, how can I buy things that are going to be really fun, but not take over the house? <laughs> so Cameron's really into puzzles. So we're going to do that. My husband is determined to buy them both ukuleles. <laughs> so I don't even want to gonna... know where that came from. <laughs> well, he's into the ukulele himself, and he has shown me videos of little prodigies, and I'm like, well, that's not our children, but okay. So they're going to get instruments, and he's going to try to teach them some chords. Annabelle's big gift may be from the American Girl catalog, although I haven't totally committed. We're going to get a lot of craft sets because I imagine I'm going to want to keep them occupied sometimes, you know, while I'm nursing or um, doing stuff for the baby. So stuff where they can sit down and, and do them over the winter. And again, since it's Hanukkah, you need a lot of books, but uh, not a lot of books, a lot of gifts, but some of them are going to be just very practical. Like they both need new shoes. <laughs> so that's going to be, you know, one of, one of the fillers. And then I'll, we'll definitely buy a bunch of books. What about you guys? 
Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of books um, just because it's the kind of thing that I feel good about buying. And then if they have more books, they will read more books. Uh, it's the whole supply thing going on. Um, but I think it's mostly just been about kind of paying attention to what the kids like during the course of the year. You know, so my, my daughter and I went to the American Girls Place in New York a couple months ago, and I saw one thing that she liked that she didn't then get. She had a, you know, a limit of what she was allowed to ask for while we were in the place. So she chose something else, but I've kept in mind, like, oh, what was the runner-up? So she might like that. We are probably, you know, for the little guy, we'll probably get some more Thomas the Tank Engine trains. And it, it seems almost like a waste because it's the last kid, you know, and so it's the buying all this capital in the form of trains. We have some, but they've lasted through all of the kids. Um, so I think they're really great. So I know that I will be able to give them to somebody else probably in a couple of years. And, and so that's a nice thing to be able to buy something that will last. There will be video games because there's always video games. But one thing I'm also trying to think of this year is uh, experiential gifts. Because particularly yes, I love that. when you get to the older kids, they, they don't go as much for the toys anymore. Like they don't play with toys all that much. The 10-year-old hardly at all. The 8-year-old some. So thinking about, well, what would they like to do? And be, you know, tickets to a sports game or even something like staying in a hotel overnight is just the height of craziness for them. Like they don't do that all that often. So, you know, taking them on a one-night trip somewhere um, else on the East Coast, for instance, would be pretty exciting. So we're, we're trying to think of stuff like that. And in general, you know, experiences are really fun for kids. I mean, little kids, they do need a lot of stuff under the tree or with whatever you do for other gift giving faith traditions. Um, <laughs> but, you know, thinking about having a few things for that and then a few things that can spread out the fun um, over the next couple of weeks or months can actually be a great way to get through winter as well. Yeah, I love the experiential idea. I can't wait till my kids are old enough to think about the sort of trips. We're not quite in that phase yet, but your older ones certainly are. So that's fantastic. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, episode 19. We've been talking all things books. And tune in next week for more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click granger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done 